Imagine a world where innovation knows no bounds. At BAE Systems Fast Labs, we're pioneering advanced technology and defense research, shaping the future of safety and security. Explore our website to uncover a realm of cutting-edge projects, collaborations, and visionary thinkers. Whether you're a tech enthusiast, a defender of freedom, or just curious, Fast Labs is where groundbreaking solutions are born. Join us and be part of the future today. Visit www.baesystems.com slash fastlabs. Happy holidays, everyone. We are coming to you here at the end of December, and we hope everyone is having a good holiday season. Uh, In this episode, we go back to our recent AOC 2023, the 60th annual AOC International Symposium Convention. Uh, As many of you know, we release special episodes each day that week, interviewing several of our keynote speakers and other regular guests to the show to get their analysis on the topics that were discussed. One of the keynote speakers that I got to sit down with was retired U.S. Air Force General Lance Landrum. General Landrum retired from the Air Force this fall with over 31 years of experience, and his last post was as deputy chair of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization's NATO Military Committee in Brussels, Belgium. As you know, the theme of this your show was about the importance of strategic partnerships and alliances, and so having his voice at the show was tremendous not only because of his experience with NATO, but also prior to that, uh, several assignments ago, he was also the director of the Electromagnetic Spectrum Operations cross-function team that it was a body within the U.S. Department of Defense that was responsible for building out the DOD EMS superiority strategy, which we talk about so much on the show. So he not only is very familiar with EMSO as well as uh, the strategy, but then also how to apply that on an international context. So I was very happy to have a chance to sit down and talk with him, and I wanted to bring you that conversation here today. Let's listen in. All right, I'm here with my guest, retired Lieutenant General Lance Landrum. Uh, General Landrum, thanks for joining me here on From the Crow's Nest. It's great to have you on the show. Thanks for asking me to do this. I'm very happy to be here. All right, so we're recording this uh, on on actually day three of AOC 2023. Uh, You just got done with your uh, opening keynote uh, session here with us. And so I want to sit down and talk with you a little bit about uh, the, the, what you shared with the audience today. And, and I think maybe to, to start off, you covered a lot of ground, uh, first of all. So we'll try to get to it as much as we can. But, you know, in, in your role as the uh, 23rd NATO, help me out, 23rd Deputy Chair of Chair the, of NATO the NATO Military, military Committee. Military yeah, committee. Yeah, there you go. Um, no matter how many times I said that, it was it, it, it just did not stick in it stick in my head. So I appreciate your help there. Um, you know, what, could you talk to us a little bit about you know the European context that that exists today in terms of the strategic partnerships over there and and, and your role in, in the military committee uh, for for advancing those partnerships and what you learned uh, in the last few years there. Yeah, absolutely. So I just finished up being the deputy chair of the NATO Military Committee, which is the penultimate committee in NATO for military advice to the North Atlantic Council, right? The North Atlantic Council being the highest level political body within the NATO alliance. And so as the deputy chair, I was uh, on that board, if you will, 
and I was helping form the military advice with the nations, right? The nations were leading in this, but helping form that military advice for the North Atlantic Council. And I think on your question about, you know, sort of the environment right now in the NATO alliance, I, I think the, the main point that I would make is that the NATO alliance is motivated to focus on collective defense, one of the three stated core tasks of the NATO alliance, but they are focusing and emphasizing collective defense, which is sort of a back to the future of old Cold War NATO, right? Going back to that after sort of straying into some out of area operations and operations of choice over the last 30 years, Russia's activities and continuing activities to include the illegal invasion of Ukraine has motivated the alliance to refocus on this and bolster their deterrence and defense. And, and it would seem that, you know, obviously with, with the war in Ukraine, uh, in Russia, um, there's a lot of unpredictability uh, in, in the environment right now. And, and it's quite frankly a dangerous day-to-day -day environment to navigate. Uh, could you talk to us a little bit about how NATO is addressing some of these uh, this, this unpredictability on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, the, the security environment is dangerous and it is unpredictable and it can quickly devolve, right? We saw this very quickly in Israel just a couple of months ago, right, on October 7th. We were not tracking that, right? Mm -hmm. Israel, who tracks that all the time, was not tracking that and look where we are there. So when you combine that with the information environment that is lightning fast, that touches a multitude of people around the globe like it never did just a couple of decades ago. The ability for things to spiral out of control is is out there, and that's and that's something that I think nations are focused on, and I think it's something that the NATO alliance is focused on about how can we be more clairvoyant, mm -hmm. if you will, with looking ahead to prevent surprises and then to be able to control escalation, right? So there are many initiatives within the Alliance like intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance, right? It's putting intelligence feelers out there through the nations, right? The nations um, supply that for the Alliance and then volunteer that to the Alliance. So I think that there's a lot of uh, options out there and a focus on it, but it's putting it all together among the 31 nations to cohere under the NATO umbrella. Yeah, we. we We've been talking about strategic competition, and of course, you know, on, on the Eastern Front there, you, you have not just competition, but you actually have conflict going on. But when we talk about strategic com competition, we're talking about how the, the lines have blurred, and it touches every aspect of society. And you mentioned information. It's no longer just military to military information. It's military to everyday society information and trying to figure out what is fact and fiction and what, what, what can be trusted uh, in terms of the data that you're collecting and having to act on. Could you talk about some of the challenges that you know, NATO's been dealing with in terms of the information environment that it, it operates in. The, the NATO Alliance uh, has an entire section associated on public diplomacy, and I know that they are focused on, on that quite heavily. But I will tell you, it's very hard to keep up with, right? The amount of information, just the volume of information is incredible. Um, the speed with which nefarious actors, whether they be state actors or terror groups or non-state actors act, they're very quick and they are not beholden to facts, and they are not beholden to truth. So the adversary has some mode of an advantage to a nation or an organization like the NATO Alliance who is fact-based, 
is truth-based and wants to get the facts and truth out there as quickly as they can, but that takes a little bit of time. And I think the information environment is ripe with subversive activity, hybrid activity. It's ripe with um, things like false information, non-information, misinformation, narratives that are out there. And there are susceptible target audiences, and those target audiences could be uh, allied nations' citizens, it could be allied nations' governments, it could be the NATO organization, bureaucracy, headquarters, uh, staff, Um, and it could also be um, uh, societies within uh, some of the uh, adversarial nations, right, Um, for for this information. So it's a very difficult environment to work in, and it's lightning fast. Yeah. Um, so later this afternoon in our closing session, we're going to be having a, a session dedicated to the, to the war in Ukraine. And I know that you mentioned, um, you know, basically five areas, uh, up to five, several areas that, you know, we're learning from that conflict. And, and obviously one of them is the electromagnetic environment and the importance of EW uh, in, in that conflict. Could you talk a bit, little bit about some of the lessons your NATO's learning over there? I think the lessons are not just NATO lessons, but they're United States lessons. They're also lessons among all the nations. I think here, here are some things I think that uh, uh, kind of cover a lot, and that is, first of all, there's a lot of innovation happening on part of Ukraine. I think there's some evidence that Russia is becoming a little bit more innovative here in the later stages as well. But I think this innovation and creativity combined with the speed with which Ukraine is able to turn Mm -hmm. and adjust, whether it be a tactic, whether it be adjusting a piece of equipment, whether it be uh, using equipment or weapons in a different way, um, is is really front and center of this conflict. And, And they're making the best with what they have, that's for sure. I think there's a couple of other lessons, right? I think what we've seen is the nature of war remains constant, right? War is violent, regretfully, but that's mm-hmm. the truth. War is violent, and there's going to be death, and there's going to be destruction. Um, but I think the character of war has an interesting twist because there's both a modern aspect to the character of war, mm-hmm. and there's still an old-school aspect, right? So the modern aspect of the character of war is... Right, this innovation, this creativity, it's unmanned systems, it's different ways to communicate, uh, it's precision weapons, um, it is suicide uh, unmanned systems, uh, it's different levels of intelligence and surveillance and reconnaissance that is is starting to evolve into this new sort of character of war and mm. speed and agility associated with that. But at that same time, you see sort of a reaffirmation of old school uh, artillery barrages, right? Non-precision weapons we've seen used. We've seen mass land forces. We've seen somewhat stagnant mass land forces and war of attrition. So this is going to be an interesting study currently and underway and in the future of how do we, how do we mix what we're seeing our, hey, this, this is old school stuff, right? that has been around for a long time, but now we see it mixed with the new wave of technology. Uh, I think that that is going to be a point that people are focusing on now and will in the future. Hello. 
Hello, everyone. I want to take a short break to thank BAE Systems Fast Labs for the continued support for our From the Crow's Nest podcast. I am pleased to be here today with Bill Watson, Chief Scientist at BAE Systems Fast Labs. Bill, it's great to be here with you. Now, BAE Systems Fast Labs is BAE Systems Research and Development and Production Organization. Can you tell us a little bit about Fast Labs as well as your background? Yes, and thank you for having me. Uh, BA Systems Fast Labs is dedicated to innovating, disruptive next generation solutions for the critical defense and intelligence challenges. Of course, electronic warfare is one of our key focus areas, but in addition to that, we also do research in autonomy and AI, sensing and response, advanced microelectronics, communications, and navigation. I've been working in the RF, that is radio frequency research community, for over 20 years, a short time in the United States Air Force, followed by specific research and development. My work in the last 20 years has been singularly focused on DARPA research and within the last 10 years at BAE Systems Fast Labs specifically. Technology we work on spans sensor processing through high-level sense making up to tactical and operational level autonomy and decision-making support. And one of the key differentiators about BAE Fast Labs is the research that we do uh, is intended to find its way to benefit the warfighter. This has been an important topic through many of our recent episodes here on From the Crow's Nest. Can you talk a little bit more about that technology? And for our audience, how does it change or affect our EW capabilities that we're trying to field? In our work with leading uh, DoD customers like DARPA or AFRL, we focus on developing technologies that will uh, advance future solutions from overcoming today's challenges to developing technologies never before thought to be possible. We then transition our technology to feelable products benefit our warfighters through partnership with BA Systems, Electronic Systems, product lines. As a specific example, I thought I'd use a movie you may or may not be familiar with. It was called Battle Los Angeles. It was from 2011. And in that movie, aliens had invaded. And what the characters in the movie found is that whenever they keyed their microphones on their radios, they could be easily geolocated and targeted. What the movie presented as science fiction for us is, in fact, science fact. This is the type of technology that we work on and exist today where the physics meets the real world. This sounds like absolutely fascinating work. What is the next area that you see for research and development? And if anyone is interested in learning more, how can they reach out to you? Well, we can't say too much because of the sensitivity of our work at classification levels. But in Fast Labs, we are always working on the future state. No matter what the future threats are, we will continue to focus on solving the hardest problems to benefit the warfighter. If you're interested in more information about Fast Labs, you can connect with us on our website at basystems.com slash fastlabs. Well, thank you, Bill, for joining me here on From the Crow's Nest. And now it's time to get back to our show. Now, prior to your, your post with NATO, uh, you've had a long and distinguished career. Uh, I think we first met several years ago when you were with uh, the J-8 Joint Staff um, and your role as uh, you, you led the MSO CFT cross-function team and then, of course, the development of the DOD uh, EMS superiority strategy. Um, that strategy has obviously uh, taken off. We're, we're implementing that now and a lot of great work being done on that front. NATO's been doing having its own EW strategy. Could you talk about how uh, our efforts to advance EMS superiority from the U.S. perspective, and then, of course, from the NATO perspective, how those two tie together in, in convincing all the countries that how important this environment is to, to, to mission success. 
I think, uh, so what we've seen is uh, the NATO nations and their SMEs, their experts in the electromagnetic spectrum and electromagnetic operations have been watching the United States closely. One thing that is very clear to me in my experience within Europe is that United States leadership is really important. And a lot of nations look to see what the United States is doing. And they're looking very closely at open reports. So uh, the EMZO or the EMO experts read our GAO reports, mm -hmm. right, about how we're not doing that well. And they read our congressional language in reports that says we need to grow this capability and we're challenged and we need to move out on it. And so they watched it very closely and they actually revised their strategy before the United States 2020 strategy. And it's not unlike ours, right? They focus on uh, three areas, growing institutional awareness associated with EMS superiority. They focus on uh, excellence and joint warfighting capability in electromagnetic operations. And they focus on robust capabilities, three things. So I think if you, um, if, you, if you look at those and you compare it against our strategy, which has really five main objectives, mm -hmm. right? Uh, our objectives are based on capability. It's based on integrated infrastructure. It's based on total force readiness, partnerships, right? Mm -hmm. That applies to the alliance. And it also talks about governance, mm -hmm. ours. So I think that they're in line and they're mutually supporting. I would also say that the United States has been a very positive player in all of the working groups and the committees in the NATO alliance that work in the EMS. The NATO Electromagnetic Warfare Advisory Committee is one of the main committees that work on this, representing the military committee. For example, I know that the United States Strategic Command and their Joint Electromagnetic Warfare Center has been very positively engaged on the working groups and committees within the NATO alliance. And, uh, and combined with the other, their colleagues and SMEs from other nations, right, they work on doctrine and they work on um, training aspects and they work on strategy and they work on policy suggestions and revisions. And an example is Allied Joint Pub 3-6, is very closely aligned with United States Joint Pub 3-85, right? And so there's a lot of synergy associated, associated with that. Uh, now, now, you are recently retired, um, and congratulations on that. Thank I you. bet that feels, <laughs> that feels great after uh, your, your, your long career. Um, you know, looking, looking forward, you know, where do you see this, uh, this going uh, in terms of advocacy for EMS superiority? Uh, what do you think needs to happen? I, 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 at your point of view now, uh, whether it's in the United States or in NATO or our other partners or allies, it, obviously we haven't talked a lot about the uh, Asia Pacific, you know, here, but we have been talking about it throughout the the show. Uh, where do you see this go? This conversation going? So I think, I think within the United States, here's where I see this going. In the United States, I think this continued emphasis that we have seen, particularly over the last five or six or seven years. It just needs to continue, right? This has been sort of a, uh, a slog. It's been a grind. Uh, advocates, the Association of Old Crows is one uh, advocate organization, of course, but there's congressional leaders, members of Congress, 
There's uh, people in the Department of Defense who are championing this, and, and, and it's come up with a strategy, right, as we know. It's come up with an implementation plan. It's come up with some levels of reorganization within the department and within the services. And now we're looking at the draft NDAA language, which seems pretty robust and mm -hmm. taking a yet another step forward. So we have to remember that there's no light switch fix, right? We are not going to wake up on Monday morning and everything we ever wanted and hoped for in the electromagnetic spectrum is going to magically appear in front of us. But we have to be resolute and just continue this advocacy and this grind and these engagements through multiple levels and just keep making the advancements, right? We all want to drive through the drive-through window mm -hmm. and come up with instant, immediate capability in the spectrum. But we just have to be patient and let the systems work and keep leaning on them to deliver a little faster and a little faster. In NATO, I think that there are some lessons from the United States that NATO can learn, right? One aspect of the United States strategy is on governance. I think NATO could learn from that in particular, right? In 2015, we started the XCOM associated mm -hmm. with the uh, electromagnetic warfare in the United States. We see that in draft NDA yep. language now being reaffirmed, mm -hmm. right, and guided and directed by our Congress. And so I think something like that in NATO would take a big step forward, right? A senior champion named and designated a committee named and designated with some s political guidance, political guidance mm -hmm. that allows them maneuver space, but gives them a, a path forward and with mandatory reports back into the highest levels of political leadership of the alliance. That's, I think, really important. I know, you know, governance doesn't necessarily deliver capability. I get it. But you need someone really to focus, right? You need someone, uh, someone who's got the laser dot in their forehead that exactly. I'm responsible for this. <laughs> you, you, you need that accountability <laughs> yeah, yeah. To, to make sure that you follow through on, 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 on all the wide-ranging priorities that uh, you're, you're facing on a day-to-day -day basis. And, you know, in the U.S., you know, one of the challenges, of course, is, you know, working with all the services. And that language that you mentioned, you know, we, at, toward the end of the language, it talks about the role that the services are going to have to play in this and be held accountable. Even harder when you get into 31 nations and NATO and trying to make sure that you have the governance structure that accommodates the the autonomy of those 31, uh, 30 plus countries. So, uh, to to wrap to wrap things up, I know that you're you got a very busy schedule. Um, what what do you you know? You've been around here this entire week, and really appreciate your engagement uh, here. You know, not just keynote speaking, but also walking on, on the exhibit floor. From an industry perspective, what can industry do to help with what you just talked about in terms of advancing EMS superiority here in the U.S. and around the, and around the globe? I think that industry can, first of all, they can continue to work for advocacy for creating superiority in the EMS, right? They can continue to be an advocate for that with our government leaders, with our department, our DOD leaders, mm -hmm. with our service leaders. They can showcase uh, intangible ways what technology is available and what is achievable in the near future that they can actually deliver on for the department. Okay, and then uh, I, here's what I really think, right? Industry really needs to embrace this ability for the different systems to integrate and to interoperate um, I have to tell you, from my experience uh, in uh, working requirements and capability development in, in the J-8, working closely with the vice 
chairman of the Joint Chiefs and, and talking around the services and the building. There is this huge momentum to get away from proprietary black boxes that nobody but the one company can get into. And that is a turnoff right now. And so whatever, what, whatever industry can do to motivate, and under, I understand profit, right? To make profitable, you know, a system that um, has their kit in it, but also others can then integrate into easily mm-hmm. is going to be the way forward to allow creativity, to allow uh, innovation, to allow a different technology creativity to come into it and enhance it, I think is going to be really, really important. And so, you know, I think uh, industry has a huge role in this. On the NATO side for industry, I think industry needs to do almost the same thing. They need to advocate for that through the systems and working groups and bodies within NATO. And I mentioned one when I spoke today. The NATO Industrial Advisory Group, or the NIAG, is an area where industry can get engaged. And and what industry needs to do is go to their nation's uh, armament directors and uh, and there's a way to sort of petition to be part of this uh, this industrial advisory group. But getting a, a, a series or an amount of of industry that has expertise in the electromagnetic spectrum, can advocate for it, can explain the technology, which sometimes is a little difficult Mm -hmm. to explain. Political leadership are very smart, right? They're very wise people, but we all have our levels of expertise. And sometimes the spectrum is really a hard story to tell. And so if they can do that and then offer ways, um, uh, ways and technology that can be interoperable and interchangeable among NATO nations, to cohere together at the time and place of need, that would really be helpful. Great. Well, well, thank you for joining me here on From the Crescent. It's great to talk to you again, and uh, really appreciate you taking time to spend the entire week with us and uh, to share with us your thoughts. I really appreciate it. Thank you. You're welcome, Ken. Very fun. Thank you. That will conclude this episode of From the Crow's Nest. I want to thank my guest, retired U.S. Air Force Lieutenant General Lance Landrum, for joining me. Also, don't forget to review, share, and subscribe to this podcast. We always enjoy hearing from our listeners, so please take some time to let us know how we're doing. That's it for today. Again, you can follow me on Twitter at FTC and Host. Thank you for listening. FastLabs, powered by BAE Systems, is at the forefront of advanced technology and defense research, development, and production. They're pushing boundaries, breaking barriers, and innovating for a safer world. Check them out at www.baesystems.com/fastlabs.